0: When Americans are looking for a tasty meal, options for Chinese, Japanese, Thai, sushi, Korean, or Vietnamese outnumber the classic McDonald's hamburger 5 to 1. There are over 65,000 Asian restaurants operating in the U.S. today. A new generation of owners are serving up exciting and new choices in the Asian American menu landscape. Let's dive into their journeys as they innovate for Western palates with Eastern flavors and cuisines. Welcome to Chow Chops. Udon and rice bowls, sushi, the University of Connecticut, and an ill-advised leap of faith. What do you get when you mix such odd ingredients together? My guest, Ron Lu, co-owner at Love Art Sushi and Love Art Udon, is going to tell us about the magical outcomes. I'm sitting here with Ron Lu. Thanks for having me. It's kind of nice to chat a little bit. Tell me a little bit about your background. I met you a couple of years ago, and you were—I think—you were in Connecticut.
1: We were. I went to school in Connecticut. I was originally born in New York. My my parents immigrated over. My dad came to New York for school, and and my mom followed after. They uh, they moved to Connecticut after my my dad finished up his PhD uh, at NYU and took a job in the chemi- chemical field. So I more or less spent most of my childhood uh, in in Central Connecticut, lived in Glastonbury, Connecticut, and uh, eventually turned into me enrolling at the University of Connecticut Mm -hmm. where I uh, studied uh, marketing and political science. So after graduation, I uh, had a chance to, I was given a job offer to move up to Boston, and despite the uh, the sports conversations being a little tough, (laughs) being from New York, it, uh, it was an amazing city it treated me well and uh, my my first job out of college although i held many internships before i I worked in sales marketing account management and i actually learned quite a bit between um, not just working for a corporate company but i I had an amazing manager uh, very inspirational and from there uh, my my partner she was working as a geneticist at Brigham and women's and uh, one thing we always had in common that was we, we loved food. Um, we we like to joke that we were posting on Facebook way before the days of Instagram on what what food we enjoyed eating, what food we enjoyed discovering, and what food we enjoyed cooking, um, both uh, traditional and kind of new age, if you will. One important thing is uh, we, we are both Asian American. That conversation around food has is, is always been a little more heavy-handed than just say pizza and burgers uh, growing up here in the U.S. Um, but from there we had an opportunity uh, there's a major development in the works for about 10 years between the state the university and the local town back at UConn so after working a couple years here we joked saying hey wouldn't it be crazy if we opened a restaurant and kind of shared our, our passion for food? One call led to another, and it was all of a sudden lawyers and architects and designers. And we were suddenly looking at opening a cafe back at UConn. So you have to understand, when, when we were students, and, and my partner also went to UConn, it was your typical, in the middle of nowhere, rural college town. Uh, you had dining halls, you had a... Chinese takeout place, a Japanese place that had more Chinese food on the menu and a little bit of sushi, pizza wings. And, and that's about it. With the new development, they were putting in mixed-use apartments. They wanted to bring it downtown. They really wanted to create a, a new-age kind of true college town instead of just a farm with a campus in the middle of it. I thought it was exciting. We we knew the campus really well. We were very active in multiple communities, not just Asian American, but I was involved with the student government. I was involved with um, some of the athletics departments, and we thought we're sort of young now. This is a chance for us to test it out. and if all else fails, I can always get a job. Again, a Mm -hmm. couple years later, decided to open a restaurant. I guess the thought process in deciding what to do really came from seeing what we really enjoyed and what we wished existed when we were college students. So our, our first shop was a combination, rice bowls, sushi, bubble tea, and some unique homemade items, Japanese comfort food, which is made from scratch, curry dumplings and okonomiyaki and gyuran and things that are, are very common, I, I believe, today. But back then, and back then wasn't that long ago, we're talking about 2013, especially in rural Connecticut, it, it was foreign. I remember when we first opened and we were selling bubble tea, customers said, oh, this is really interesting. You guys put fish eggs in tea? And we're like, no, no it's it's juice. It's, you know, it's tapioca. It's... It's a, it's a dessert, it's very popular. Yeah. And we were welcomed with uh, open arms and, and we went into a community that was very
0: willing to learn mm-hmm. and, and very willing to try accept, things out yeah. and, and accept it. So. Uh, Since you do come from the marketing background, were you comfortable thinking that there would be a market to support your restaurant at that point in time? Uh, I think so, and the idea
1: as to why was we still put familiar items on the menu. We had a
0: chicken teriyaki
1: bowl, we had spicy tuna California rolls, and we would come to realize that that would anchor most of our sales. We had incredibly strong ties to the Asian American community that we knew were a bit more exposed. So it was almost like we we had a high floor to begin with. There's a very strong safety net in which we could then kind of grow, find our feet, get get our feet wet and uh, and mm-hmm. really kind of take the next step. So right.
0: then you could address your flock, if you will, right? Correct. Right. Is, yep. okay. So okay. Uh,
1: I, I won't deny that looking back on it, it, it was still rather reckless. Mm-hmm. Both my partner and I have absolutely no food experience ourselves. Our families had never worked in the food industry. This was a, hey, opening a restaurant's a very romantic idea (laughs) and we think we can do it. Yeah. and and we did but that's not to say we we did we we had to put our work in right um, it, it wasn't I mean even now it's it's been over six years and I, I'd say I'm still learning at, at the same rate if not a faster rate at which we were learning back then right. um, it's just it's it's such a evolving kind of industry it, it's fun it's exciting but at the same time it's tough it's, yeah. uh, there
0: there were days where
1: lying down, you can't move a yeah. bone in your body and you're, you're questioning
0: everything. Um, right. I grew up in a family that my grandfather and my father worked in the re- restaurant business and I saw only, only saw them once a week. Right. So, And having worked in the industry, it was something my grandfather said, no, you stay away from that stuff. How did your parents take it when you said, hey, I want to move back and I want to open a restaurant? <laughs> uh, they
1: said, funny, N- nice joke. No, seriously. Mm-hmm. what uh, What's the next step in your career? Okay. It took them years, uh, I I still get Times of reservation, they're they're much more supportive now. They're much more open-minded. Okay. You know, I uh, I was actually chatting with with another friend who's thinking about joining the industry, and 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 I was honest. You know, I I grew up with my mother being a little snobby. And I I didn't really understand it when I was younger, but she would always try to steer steer me away from in the restaurant industry, and it, it to me growing up, it, it almost made me more rebellious because I I you know, growing up in a progressive age, I, I was saying you. You're, you're a jerk. You know, you're you're looking down on people. And when I was younger I couldn't really understand, but as I'm older now, it, it's not that they didn't want to support it is they were trying to keep me away from the hardship it's a very common theme and and i've heard other fellow kind of entrepreneurs in the food industry say the same thing it's their parents and the generations before go we
0: work so hard so you don't have to work as hard that that's a very common point of view the the parents are saying i bust my butt i don't want you to do this exactly so you should go on the track that is a little more easier in your life
1: yep and you know they were they were still supportive I, i think i i did have the privilege of you know, my, my parents were there to catch me. Uh, I, from an ego standpoint, I, I never wanted to take any money. I, I, you know, from the age of, I started my entrepreneurship, I joke when I was three, because all the little toys I used to get, I would hold a Saturday morning market and try to sell back to my parents <laughs> to, to make a dollar or two. And you know, by, by middle school, we, uh, we had lived near a golf course. So I was fishing out golf balls and lugging a cooler full of bottled water as a sixth grader making a hundred bucks a weekend. You know taking advantage of people that sure. that would miss the uh, eighth hole green uh and and from there I, I think i think they always knew that i was always thinking ahead uh mm-hmm. it was anyone that i i was worked for always did my best gave my best but i i just had this personality of what's next and and to be fair i remember my corporate career i was built up I, I, I borderline arrogant a little bit at you know thinking about how good i was mm-hmm. at what i did and i remember i went for a promotion and I was denied. I'd found out later, after I left the company, the reason I, did not, I was denied was the uh, the corporate ration wanted me to humble up a little bit. Um, and and so I think that was when I knew, you know what? Let's uh, let me let me go and create something. And and I think for me and how I build my team now is, and I think this is, and I have to be honest, the reason why I think I find success now is it's not me. It's it's got to be the team and everything that we try to build, both my partner and I, is is a work. Place and and a community where our team feels they can and won't be held back. Um, You know, we give them the power to decide and, and learn really what's possible and what's not despite how much you want to do something
0: Um, so that's also looking at the restaurant business in a different with different with a different lens where there's more interaction and advancement and participation as opposed to sort of the rigid structure and time and framework work and organization
1: and and to circle that back to your original question that's i think why uh my, my parents are a little more accepting and willing now they um first they're they're just like, you just want to go and play with food. And, <laughs> and I don't think you realize how much work goes into all the costs. They, uh, What you're going to end up doing is you're going to be making everybody else money around you. And you're just going to be working, mm. hoping to, to get a little bit. I got to say they're right with that kind of pivot and, and innovation. And, you know, I, I think our approach and, and my approach, and what I was trying to explain to them is, you know, I, I'm not we don't want to just come in and open a restaurant for survival. We, we want to create something. We want to mm. create a brand. We want to create a, a community. We we want to provide opportunities mm. and we want to be in the forefront in driving mm. innovation and, and taking the industry to the next level. What does tomorrow look like we we want to be at the forefront of that slowly and slowly over time i, I they're starting to see uh, some some of the steps that we've taken and that um that it is possible and and it is more than just about
0: a simple transaction of, of selling food go on that thought and you go from your restaurant in connecticut You opened up in the northeastern area, the Love Art Sushi Mm -hmm. location, and now we're sitting here at Love Art Udon. What's next for you?
1: So, uh, well, I guess we'll backtrack to to Connecticut. We were. uh Connecticut was, was definitely a learning ground. I, I will be honest in saying, when we opened, I was pulling hours I never thought was possible. And I, we were just grinding. And to be honest, looking back on it, man, some of the stuff we did, I don't know how we got away with it. Uh, <laughs> you know, incredibly resilient team around mm. us that, that was young and and worked their butts off. And yeah. we had gone through issues with the building. We went through legal matters. We, You name it. You, mm. you, if you can dream it, we, we faced some kind of adversity there. But throughout it all, you know, we went through, we had to go through a name change because of a, a, a lawsuit threat. We okay. renovated three times, we rebranded, we changed the menu, we pivoted, and we just kept... Uh, Willing to cut our losses and, and mm. go, you know what? This is a great idea, but if we keep trying to beat a dead horse, we'll never take the step forward. Mm. So, uh, and, and that's what that Connecticut cafe was for us. We right. we had, you know, I I think profits at the end of the day. We had enough to make it to tomorrow. But what we gained was that invaluable experience that okay. that knowledge in not knowing how to cook something, but how to deal with certain situations. Mm. And from there, we uh, silver lining was I, I play basketball when when I get <laughs> actually get free time right and I I'd actually met some would, would be future investors through that way mm-hmm. uh, on campus and you know one couple of investors are super excited at what we're doing they were young they, they wanted you know they were getting their feet wet and putting kind of their mark on the world so yeah. we were given an opportunity where we had a chance to open something here in Boston and our menu from day one over there had evolved so much that by the third year we came up with the concept of love art sushi, and this was before kind of the the whole poke hype and craze. And I, I think that was just us recognizing, hey, this is what we enjoy, and hey, this is what what's working. You know, we we had a true place to stress test everything, and uh, we were given an opportunity to open in Boston. I think our opening in Boston, I I would say was still. It probably took us about a year, year and a half to really get our operations down. But from that, every step you know every six months that passes we we get a little bit better we find a little more efficiency we make better connections and we find what works and and i think we got to a point where we had an opportunity to grow more here in boston at the same time we were approached at someone interested in, in purchasing our connecticut location it allowed us to sell But at the same time, I I do think we we hit a ceiling. It's a college campus. Four months of the year, the population density falls next to nothing. And we wanted to relocate our human resources. And and that's what we did. We we were able to get a buyer. We relocated three full-time staff up to Boston and three to four more followed after part-time students that ended up going to grad school here in Boston, it allowed us to take the next step. Where, where we are today, we're uh, a week away from opening our fourth location, which would be our third active. Uh, that's gonna be located right outside the TD Garden. And then we have another location under construction. We're aiming for a late spring, early summer opening in Downtown Crossing, this is now pivoting into what the next chapter I think for us is. We've also created this new incubator program where the two major hurdles that we've encountered in the food industry now is labor, uh, labor being the economy is great which is great for the city but it also means it's tough to find talent and the second being capital capital is always that striking point that can allow you to take the next step so we've been working on this for years and my team we see ourselves more as a consulting company we've kind of lifted ourselves off the ground a bit and we're coming in doing the photography branding permitting compliancy HR finance and with that we wanted to, to scale those services the Sync Beta program is we're connecting very passionate entrepreneurs with investors that want to work with us and we're providing the safety net of experience and we've got our pilot program which I can't share too much yet we've connected with with an amazing entrepreneur she's been super excited working hard at the project we've got investors in place that are excited about the project We are bringing the uh, sense of security for landlords and developers here. That's kind of the the next step. We, We don't necessarily need to have Love Art pasted all over the city. These are all going to be unique, new, independent brands and
0: businesses that we're essentially providing support for. Your mechanics for your next step is more about the operations, more about the marketing, more of the infrastructure for success is these new Correct. concepts, right? Yep. And with that, from a
1: scalability standpoint, it also puts us in a unique driver's seat where if we can be on the forefront in, in trying to drive change and innovation. So one, one of our big 2020 key and goals is eco-friendly. How do we address the issues that aren't going away anytime soon? They're only going to continue to magnify as we move into the future which there's a trash crisis there's a recycling crisis um as much as think oh there's always tomorrow i think society's taking a lot of steps already i think infrastructure is starting to be built but the drivers aren't always necessarily there yet we want to be one of the drivers so we're, we're actually working with distribution factories and developing product Yeah, we've been getting samples in on you know fully compostable and, and paper products seeing how we can now from a Consulting standpoint, perhaps move the needle a little bit faster on, on getting a more of an eco friendly uh, green, green print, as we'll call it in, in the food industry. The nice thing is, a, a lot of our work and time, we, we are triple dipping. You know, what, what we do for our own brands, what we do when working on new projects, we're, you know, implementing a lot of the thought process with eco friendly, we're having conversations. The, that training moment with, with our own managers is yeah. something that we want to bring along a potential entrepreneur to, to see and, and yeah. learn at same time so it, it's daunting it feels like a lot but at the same time it's it's also methodical and mm-hmm. we're trying to really approach it in, in the most efficient manner possible
0: i want to go back to your experience in connecticut what did you draw upon did you draw upon your childhood not my childhood at all <laughs> uh you know
1: i i grew up with and, and i think a, a lot of asian americans have kind of. at some point you you question your identity a little bit i grew up with my younger brother, we wanted burgers, we wanted pasta. You know, I thought the Chinese food my parents made was bland. You know, I we wanted to eat the food that, that our friends ate, you know, what, when we went over and, and their mother would cook for us. And now, when we move over to Japanese food, it, that has nothing to do with my childhood really, other than buffets occasionally that, you know, my parents would take us out to. And it was always buffets because you get a better value out of it. I gotta be honest, I think growing up, I never was really or instilled quantity versus quality it was always just what's the best value and and i think i never really picked up on the nuances of hey what, what's great quality uh, and, and recognizing that and I, I think it was really college that, that exposed me to it, meeting other Asian Americans that were not Chinese, making Korean friends, Vietnamese friends, Japanese friends, being exposed to more more culture, and in general, seeing how not just American, but a Vietnamese American household is very different than a Chinese American household, and, and actually gaining that exposure and experience. And that made me a little more curious into food. I think food is something that brings everybody together. So it was I could be hanging out, playing basketball with some Vietnamese-American friends, and then it was, hey, it's dinner time, like, everybody drops everything, and and we have a big cookout, and and, and my my partner being Cambodian, when when her mother cooked, it was was a a labor of love. She would spend two hours on on dinner, and that's something where, my mother, you know, after a long day of work, she comes home and just throws something in the microwave, and, and that's what, and so that made me realize that food is, is such a culture in its own that that I, I think growing up, I was took for granted, but that was also something that enabled me to kind of connect with cultures and, and other cultures, so I took an interest in it, flavors and understanding not just why, what a flavor is being incorporated, but why. It's the origin, what's the story behind it. I went through an evolutionary phase where during this period I'm thinking there's so much good food and I'm growing up in Connecticut all the Chinese food here is all Americanized and I started harboring this I'll only eat Chinese food in New York City or Boston because that's what real Chinese food is and and I'd argue that's false say now that I'm older I'd say no it's part of history it's part of our Chinese American diaspora here it's part of survival Uh, and and to discount that as not Chinese food I I think is, is unfair I think a lot of that is what drives my continual interest in, in food. Mm. We're privileged to travel more, so now it's I'm I'm going beyond just what a Vietnamese American household cooks or a Korean American. I've been all over Asia kind of seeing what food means over there. I think food over there is is very different than what food over here is. That story is is now growing. There are others in my generation that are able to travel and, and the internet is evolved where you, you can connect and, and cook a quote unquote authentic meal without ever having stepped foot into a country because of YouTubers and very great storytelling. Every day, my opinion and how I see food and treat food, it still changes. It still continues to evolve. Uh, even now, down to Chinese food, my, my own heritage food, which, t- to be honest, I'm, I'm intimidated by. Yeah, I took it for granted, general sales growing up, or if you want to talk about dim sum, it was always $5 combo. Didn't think much twice. In fact, I, I would go as far as saying, maybe i looked look down on it a little bit. Mm. But now, in the food industry, I go, man, there's a lot of thought process there's a lot of complexities and nuances and and story that could use a platform to be told and and a newfound respect that I I think I've kind of developed and uh, it's funny because a lot of what we do is culturally Hawaiian or Japanese and and Korean even and I I could say no I I didn't grow up in those environments but I don't want to say I'm entitled to ownership for me when I do do those cuisines it's because of people that I've met experiences that I've had in the respective countries seeing how the food is, is treated there and, and how it's marked here and I think it's part of that desire to tell that story a little bit more to, to give a little bit more exposure and I try to be very careful in how we brand you can't always control the narrative of what other writers and other people want to believe but whenever I do have a conversation with people I, I tell people I don't like the word authentic because I think authentic is rightfully defined differently depending mm. on who you are mm. if, if you're a Japanese American that grew up in the Midwest what is authentic to you and your experiences you cannot compare that to someone who may have grown up in Osaka that's not fair right right it's a different story so I think for us you know we're in a place now where we tell people this is what we create some of it is because the market demand is there you know some things are just a little bit too scary to make any money off of here in Boston and other things we try to do what we can we tell the story on these are the ingredients we use this is the method this is the sourcing some places in Japan do it it this way, others don't. If you want to interpret it as authentic, that that's cool. But at the same time, you know, we just want to put out a product that people can enjoy right. and
0: understand. What are your thoughts on social media? You go to Yelp and you see posts that are addressing your food, your restaurant, their experience. And all of your output. I read some reviews one guy says I got a takeout and I got it home and it was bland. Some of these reviews the help is for the masses and don't appreciate all the work you've put into it. Do you think that's a fair platform for customers to echo back or or have feedback for you? I think where we are now is fair
1: is, is subjective. It's good that customers do have a platform of voice and power to share their thoughts. You take a lot of pride in what you do, and your team takes a lot of pride so when a negative review or hurtful or unfair review comes through. It's not fun. If it's a review about that's not how it's supposed to be done, I'm sorry we much couldn't much. deliver you an experience that you're expecting, but how is the customer service? How is the food mm. itself? If right. you didn't enjoy it, that's fine. You're, yeah. you're entitled to that and, and you know what, you're, you're spending money and you didn't get what you wanted. All we can do is say thank you for giving us a chance. We actually key in on some of the reviews are things that aren't right. If they got an order wrong or if they mm. got food that wasn't Fresh by our standards. You have to have trust in your staff. Everyone's human at the end of the day. They make mistakes. All we can do is look at all the reviews. We address every single one of them individually. If we need to do our own internal investigation, figure out what happened. And then if it starts to become a trend, we go in and systemically fix things. There'll always be people that you can't please. In this industry, you have to accept it. But for us, it's also having the mental fortitude and knowing that there's always room for improvement. We just choose to pick our fights and battles in the Realm of customer service and food quality. If the food was prepared the best way possible with fresh ingredients and done right, mm-hmm. and it's something they didn't enjoy, that's something we'll just have to accept that it wasn't what they wanted. But if it's something that we did wrong, then that's our job to make right. And that's kind of where we just kind of approach reviews now. I am so grateful for Yelp and Google, and as you know, all the accusations and nuances of those platforms, they are what they are, uh, but I, I think for us, we try to see the, the positive side of things. Yelp, at the end of the day, does give us an avenue to g- gain exposure. There are people out there making decisions. They won't just focus on the negative reviews, but because of Yelp and Google reviews, they'll give us a chance, and maybe they end up actually really liking it. That's all things that you, know, you, you can't lose sight of, and, right. and you can't just get too fixated on, on the negative
0: stuff. Go back to your traveling and discovering different cuisines. Do you have a process that you go through and thinking about, does this fit into the Western palette? We're we're not always bringing everything back. I think in the Mm -hmm. beginning we would make
1: annual, sometimes twice a year, trips to Hawaii because of a very, very close friend and our our goddaughter was living in Hawaii. And I think we came to fall in love with with the island and the food. And and I think that's why we really wanted to to drive Hawaiian food a little bit more And, and Japan was the other a very magical place we we visited. So we we wanted to do it right, but now we've experienced so many different cuisines and techniques, and uh, I'm more of a night market street food guy than than a classy, high-end meal kind of guy. We're pulling inspiration, not from just the food that we're eating, but how it's being made. You have to appreciate what their process is, but that's what we try to really understand. What are the ingredients being used? What's the process? What's the cooking method? What's Especially when traveling and, and you're visiting countries that specialize in specific things, it's not like they just woke up one day and went, let's create a national dish. It's a result of the environment around them. It's, it's what resources they have accessible to them, the ingredients, cooking methods, even infrastructure, sanitation. When we experience food, we really try to understand a lot of that. We try to understand, well, why does this flavor come out the way it is? How did this dish get to where it is? Was it like this 50 years ago, 100 years ago? That's how we, we approach food when traveling. It could be a technique, we notice that there was this sauce that we had that was caramelized with a torch, so we didn't take the same sauce, nor did we take the same base ingredient, but we applied it in a different manner because of the fiery taste we got and understanding the sugar caramelizing really transforms the dish. So when we travel, it's not just hey, we had amazing pad thai in Bangkok. It was, what's the process of cooking that led to that feeling of amazingness and enjoyment? And and how do we bring some of that back? And and so that's where we're really sliding a lot of the little nuanced things. And that's why when we travel, it's not just bringing Vietnamese food back or or Japanese food, it's bringing that technique and and really hoping
0: to elicit the same feelings that that we had when we were traveling abroad and eating Mm -hmm. abroad. Are you discovering techniques counter to what we're accustomed to? to here?
1: Not necessarily. Just 95% of what we try to bring back doesn't happen. Uh, sometimes it's it's ingredient sourcing. Other times it's complexity. If it takes us this long to try to master it, is it feasible to train somebody and, and recreate it and reproduce it? We also have the principle of if you can't do it right, you can try and try, but don't put it out there because when you do that, you're presenting somebody else too mm-hmm. with your food. And for us, we don't ever want to accidentally represent something in the wrong way. So there is a lot of trial and error, and we do try to test it with, uh, not just with friends, but I, I ask people to be critical. You know, don't just, don't just tell me something tastes good and make me feel good. Like, I, I want to know how does this make you feel? What are your actual thought process? And we, we are blessed to, to have that support group, too, that, that is honest with us. What's your proudest dish? One that you would say, come and visit, you have to try this. That one's tough. I got to say, it's, I think it's our classic chicken sandwich that, that we had fun with. Nani Chicken Buns was a brand that we created. It doesn't technically have a storefront. Yeah. You you can't Find it on a Google map. Google gets confused. We we offered at the Love Our Udon location, but we purposely branded it with an air of mystery. Mm. And uh, when we first launched it was a delivery only restaurant. It was a summer side project. I love fried chicken sandwiches. The world loves them, right? Oh so, gosh, yeah. and it's been done over and over, yet there's still so much innovation you can do with it. And for me, I'm a dark meat guy. Maybe that's my, uh, I'm, my there roots. I'm there too. I'm there too. Uh white meat is great when, when yeah. I'm going through a health sure. cut, but you know we we got together, and, and from things that we've learned and, and things that we've experienced, we, I, I wanted to create a chicken sandwich, so so we did it. We, we went through many different additions. The premise behind it was a karate style marinated sandwich, so we created our own soy sauce blend with spices and chili oil and sesame mm. oil and, and seaweed seasoning and a lot of things that went into it. We cut up and cleaned chicken thighs marinated for 24 hours and very strict. It's gotta get at least 24 hours of, of drinking the, the marinade. And then we pull it out, three-step mm. batter. We actually went with more of a traditional American Southern batter. So in, instead of the light potato starch, we went with heavier mix of flour and, and breadcrumb and lightly spiced because we really wanted the marinade to come through, not just the sandwich, the chicken rather, but we also focused on the bread. We imported, we just baking is, is a whole oh, art yeah. in its own. We, we stayed yeah. away from that, right. tested out different ones, in, and we actually went with a Hokkaido cream Japanese sweetbread. They're from a local bakery? So it's actually from Japan. They ship it to California, and we work with the distributor. That California distributor has a branch in New Jersey that we're able to source it up from. And uh, we called it chicken buns. We actually called it nani chicken buns. Nani chicken buns. Nani, it means what in Japanese, and we thought it was kind of a fun play on people going, what? (laughs) So from that, we, and then we have the chicken, we have the sandwich, and we went, what's going to tie the sweetness from the saltiness and savoriness of the chicken and the crispiness, and we thought to do a Vietnamese-style pickled veggie. We did pickled carrots, bean sprouts, and cucumber, similar to a banh mi sandwich. We put it all together, and and then we, we created a, a little bit of a spicy aioli, and it just came together. And it was, again, we, we went through many different additions of slurries and, and batter and coats and cook time and holding and, and like I mentioned, buns, how long to toast it. Midsummer it just everything came together and we were like this is it this is amazing and we we launched it semi-quietly, but then Eater picked up on it and then they went, wait, wait a minute, the the Love Art team, we think this is the Love Art team, it's a little ambiguous, but it's like a ghost restaurant concept, and then suddenly media outlets were reaching out. We had scheduled pop-ups with breweries, a lot of success with Mighty Squirrel and Waltham and Lamplighter Brewery, and it just was like chicken and beer, and it was fun. It, It was really, really cool. I think my favorite review that we got was uh, someone mentioned it was like having your favorite shoyu ramen bowl captured in fried chicken form with the sweet bun that tied it all together so okay. um, I think that's that's probably my my proudest kind of thing that our, our team and I say our team because this was not a one-man effort it was the entire team worked to, to perfect it and we came together and, and created something pretty cool can I walk in and get that for you can it's you can. it's kind of like a speakeasy style you ask hey like uh-huh. can I order a chicken sandwich yeah. the staff will uh will take care of you they'll go through their process and radioing back and it's and fun so you can see it's fun so you can still ordered online we uh, again with with the winter coming and we've it was like a summer fun project it's still available for order both delivery and, and in store but it's, it's kind of like a, if you know you know. For anybody listening, that, that they can walk in and say, hey, I want that chicken sandwich. And it's uh, it's, it's here at, at the Lovar Udon locations.
0: What about 2020? Will you be working on the innovation side, structure side, or the operations of two locations? The current stores always come first. So we, we never want to
1: leave what really built the foundation for us behind. So mm-hmm. what we do is the, the entire team is hands-on prioritizing to give all the stores all the resources and guidance they need to succeed. And we'll, we'll continue to do that and we'll work on the incubator and the distribution and all the other projects when we get the opportunity to. The growth and speed of the innovation side is really dictated by how rock solid our stores are. If it wasn't for the stores giving us that foundation, we don't even get the opportunity to work on some of these cool things.
0: I look forward to hearing more about what your progress is for the next year. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah,
1: thanks for having me. This was really fun.
0: Yeah, I appreciate it. That wraps up my first episode of Chow Chops. Ron's co-owner, Jessica Chip, unfortunately was un I hope to have her interviewed as part two to the Love Art Story. I'm Jeff Chin. You can connect with me at jeff at chowchops.com. Thanks for the airtime.